Hi, I'm Eli. I played Rome in the Fae, and it's good to be here. Hi, I am Jordan. Uh, I played Nox, who I have now since retired, and it is good to be here. Hi, I'm Jory. I played Kitty, and it's good to be here. She was an oracle. And the aware. Hi, I'm Jillian. I played Susan the Hunter. It is good to be here. I'm Jesse. I was a lot of them, and now I'm not. And hi, it's good. Hi. Welcome to our debrief of Lakeshore, where we'll talk about our character moments, scenes, go behind those scenes, have some sneak peeks, and just kind of reflect and recount on the campaign that we just completed. I thought the first thing that we could do was uh, just think back to where your character was in episode one, and then how they how they were at the end of the finale. So I think you should go first. Okay. I can do that. Okay. In episode one, Susan is just hunting demons in the park with Joan and Nancy. And she's just like shooting imps and going over all the data of like the increased demonic activity, which is so annoying. And the ladies have finally put together their like report. And I think, I think that's like a very good introduction to Susan and the Lakeshore Society. No, that's not what it's called. And the Naturalist Society, right? It's this like very team effort. She's got this bunch of ladies doing like research for her and sort of coming along as backup, even though they're not like very good at weapons or anything. Um, and Nancy is... Uh, giving away their position or whatever from being too enthusiastic. Yeah, I think Susan really starts in uh, in like a very competent, like comfortable leader place. And then a lot of challenges are thrown at her that like really shake up how her sense of like control changes over the course of the campaign. Yeah, I think control is a good word. And I think that's like a, a theme I was playing with for sure, especially um, with her dabbling in like drug dealing because that that's what slipped out of control first and took the whole thing off course um and then she started like neglecting her people and stuff and kind of went rogue dark susan batman yeah the end the end is so good because (laughs) it's like Susan starts off with like two guns and a knife that she never pulls and then ends with no guns just with no guns in the top of the tower in front of the mayor and is like well my power is everywhere get fucked and then and then and then and then in like the super finale epilogue um she gives away her gun and then she doesn't have guns anymore 
She just gives control over to Joan so that she can go do new adventures. She, in some ways, like, uh, manages to, like, exert control. And even if that's just from, like, guiding her team mm-hmm. to, like, help her out. Yeah, because it was about, I guess, like, empowering other communities of people or just, like, empowering other people, delegating the work. I love delegating the work. <laughs> Uh, to, to other groups and right like setting the wolves um, on the radios and getting Nancy and Jim to fuck it up at the radio tower. Yeah, I would say you probably rolled hit the streets the most. I would say that Susan was the character that was most interested in like finding other people, connecting to other people and like getting resources together for mm-hmm. sure. Which is, like, so opposite of, like, the mayor and everything she wanted. She was like, I would like to have all of the control myself. Like, I trust no one. Like, I will do the good for this city, me, by myself, by superpowering my being with crystal magics. And that's why it wasn't going to work. Because it's about the power of friendship and community, baby. Collective action. She would have gotten away with it if it weren't for you meddling kids. Yeah. It's and always little kids. dog. <laughs> It's always kids. Yeah. Hotch. <laughs> <laughs> it's also funny that you talk about um, the drug thing being like the most inciting incident because that was not something that I had like any plan or inkling for at the top of the campaign whatsoever. Jillian came to me when we were doing character creation and was like, and I also think Susan's like a drug dealer and like that's how she like picks up money. She's like a courier of like whatever people need courier, curried, carried. But I think when when Jillian brought up this drug thing, then like Eli got really into it, too. Um, and it was like a lot of like uh, hype about it. Like it was seemed like it's something you guys were all like really fun into. And like you made the emphasis of your character scenes for the first two or three episodes. So I quickly was like, OK, this needs to be like a much bigger plot point because they all want it to be a much bigger plot point. Mm-hmm. On the uh, Knox side of the campaign, um, I think that there was a lot of growth for him, uh, especially, I mean, we, we opened the whole campaign, I believe, with um, him at the bar. On his birthday. On his birthday. And um, very kind of, at the time, like a day-to-day uh, kind of lost uh, individual. And then really the big arc was that was, you know, even though like he kind of, lost his friends but at the same time was finally honest with them and also was very uh oftentimes um deceiving of the party itself and obviously eventually meeting hazel who was at the start um he kind of while still being demonized uh came out of his his shell he confronted his father he he kind of reconciled just about everything before then having it kind of well, parts of it wash away in towards the finale when he loses uh, his demon hood um, and having that kind of um, go away. And then, as I mentioned, when we were playing it, be replaced a little bit with having to um, face morality again in a way that he hadn't had to in a long while, which... um, when it was a rush was very difficult to handle but when we kind of fade to black at the end and come back to the bar at the end of the campaign you can see um that he's kind of f- uh, in stark contrast found his place um 
you know, has the, the, the band's more complete. He sounds, he, he, he's excelling more at the thing that he wanted to. Um, and is just in general um, uh, a large, largely changed person. I also thought too when I was when I was saying that uh, wait, maybe I'm gonna lose this. It was something else about Susan. Oh, uh, your um, demon hatred, because uh, that was a big thing as to why you know. Obviously, I was like, oh, don't don't tell, don't tell her, don't tell her, because I am the thing. I am that. I am a demon. Classic um, odd couple. And. Well, it felt like you came that Susan came not around per se, but um, was a bit more um, taking it case by case, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and from the beginning, oh. as much as that was like a very defining characteristic of Susan that she hated demons, it wasn't something that she understood very well in terms of them having like human minions or like having control of other creatures in that way. So the idea of the tainted is like a new concept for her. And I was also pretty, uh, I think transparent with the group that um, like Susan, Susan's mind could be changed. Like people just had to like talk to her and like tell her what was going on because as much as she wasn't like particularly warm um, I would probably describe her as like collaborative. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it seemed like as much as when you ultimately found out Knox was a demon, I think Susan was as much upset as having been deceived than about working with a demon. Like, I think that that deception was the most like uh, tense point of it. Mm-hmm. And I think that really for me defines Knox's journey of like honesty and like maybe opening up to vulnerability it's kind of, you know, poignant because he literally has the ability to, like, put on a shell, like an exoskeleton to prevent him from taking damage. And part of what he needs to do over the course of the campaign, what he decides to do is, like, voluntarily strip away that shell, you know, both physically and emotionally. Um, but where I do specifically want to zero in on that point, because I think that's, like, pretty clear in the text of the show, is um, where that interacts with Kitty as a character, because I think that Knox and Kitty had a really like Knox butted heads with everybody because we have Jordan on our show. <laughs> <laughs> but I think um, the the Knox and Kitty dynamic was really interesting because it um, had like a really weird specific angle to it where Kitty was having visions of him and she will kind of butted into his life in like a really crazy night at the hardware. And, you know, it ultimately ended up with like him, you know, uh, flying across like the province to go get her when he needed her and like those two being side by side when uh Knox confronted Rex finally and I really think that that the way that is shaped is so interesting I want to hear both of you kind of speak on that well for my, me it was that you you like forced the interaction because you kept walking up and being like hey buddy I just you know like this 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 is this is gonna happen to you, and I'm like, okay, shut up, I don't even know you. And then like it would happen, and I'd be like, oh shit, it happened. And then I'd be like, oh whatever, maybe that was a fluke. And then you'd be like tugging again at my fucking shirt and be like, hey buddy, hey, this thing's gonna happen. And I'm like, okay, maybe maybe there's something going yeah, on here. Yeah, um, there's a point like early on where I think you were pushed uh, like to be because you were so harsh towards um, Susan and Roman. And you're a little less harsh towards Kitty, 
where you said like, oh, well, she like seems to care, which is very much Kitty's MO is like some level of like, oh, I just want everything to be okay. Like, let's just like, she wants to like paint everything over and have it all look good. And if that means confronting the stranger to make sure a building doesn't burn down, she's going to do it. Um, I really liked that too. I like that we, I liked um, that, like that ended with the two um, separate scenes, like parallel scenes of the, up the spire and then us in the um, Drake Casino Pavilion and the way those storylines kind of intersected. It also was a good binding agent for the group like to make sure that I was able to like I had the least connection with Susan which I don't know we tried I want we did we had a good heist in the casino but um yeah. I <laughs> we'll always have the we'll casino have the <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> but um yeah that's kind of like a big part of I think Kitty's role was like, I had, like, an inherent connection to Roman that, like, didn't really have to work, too, because it was, like, very much, like, this sister storyline was very, like, organic and, like, kept us wanting to be together. Um, and then the general, like, being the Oracle um, was a good device to keep me being like, hey, hey, like, I care about this because I know about it. And that was kind of the only reason besides Roman to have me being in the group. I don't know, I really liked, um, I really liked that playbook. I thought the Oracle was really fun. The The way the sheet is designed is maybe, like, pushing you in a very, like, paranoid or kind of, like, mentally fragile um, position. And I don't think you were particularly interested in that from the I beginning. Definitely so I definitely really like was less interested in like the character the game wanted the Oracle to be than like um, thinking of like, oh, well, like what kind of tropes can I play with in like our noir setting? And in like, like I didn't want to be like a fortune teller kind of figure, you know, I wanted to think about like the genre and play with that more. Yeah, I mean, we were always playing like we were taking Urban Shadows and then being like, how can we tell a very cool story with it? And I loved Kitty's archetype of that like society woman, especially because um, when we were first doing character creation again, I kind of I sketched out very, very rough um, blurbs about each neighborhood being like Fairside or downtown or like the wolves of the docks. Um, and I was like, tell me like what you want. What do you want to happen here? And three of you were like, oh, fair side. Oh, these like bohemian fairies and demons and this and that. Um, and I was like, OK, so maybe the story is going to be like mostly about this. But then Kitty was like, I or Jory was like, I also want to be this like society lady, you know, kind of uh, wealthy, powerful. And it's not that vibe at all. So it was um, it gave me like there's lots of tension there. And there's also like um, uh I can put effort into like trying to bring you together. So I was like, it's cool if she is having these visions of demons, specific demons that she has never had before that she can't place. That's like mental kind of block. Um, you know, Kitty and Roman being so powerful as magic users in the same way that like your team, Jillian uh, alerts you to the presence of heightened demon activity. Kitty, you know, I think in some level just innately like, her perception of magic changes when these changes are happening and she starts seeing visions that she didn't see before. 
And I love that as a way to like throw these characters together. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think it'd be cool to talk about, um, we talked about Kitty and, and Knox's dynamic, but of course we can't neglect uh, Kitty and Roman. Sister act. I do think um, uh, you, Eli, pushed more the Roman and Kitty relationship. Like, I think um, there was a lot more you reaching and Kitty being like, oh, well, I have all these things on my mind. Um, Like, I felt that a few times where I was like, well, there's Philip. And And you were like, no, I want to, like, mend this bridge. I don't know if you thought that as well, but that's kind of and I don't think it was um Kitty like not caring about Roman but I was think it was Roman feeling more obligation to like mend that relationship maybe you for you did move into her house I did move into her house so. but I moved into her <laughs> house there's like but I don't want to but I just mean like after that point like um like it was like Roman took on so response so much responsibility to help Kitty get back her powers, and from I guess that point on is probably what I'm thinking of. Yeah, um, I w- I mean, to me in in the place of Roman, it made sense because I don't know how much we touched on this, but like, you know, Roman was the one who got angry and upset with the power faction and and the place that they were in life um and kitty kind of stayed and maintained the status quo of their family and roman is the one who left so it does kind of feel on roman to reach out if she misses her sister and additionally like kitty cares about a lot of people uh kitty's got a lot of shit to do and a lot of people to take care of um and i think roman like especially because her story the whole time was about belonging and finding something to care about and finding somebody to care about her, like, it was very, like, well, this is my sister and we were close once. Kind of seems like, and she's protecting everybody and it doesn't really feel like anybody's protecting her the right way in Roman's mind. Um, that felt like the obvious latch. Yeah, there's a lot of, like, ping-ponging back and forth of, like, who is the caretaker here? Mm-hmm. And I think it, you know, it kind of starts off with a very like kitty coming into Fairside and being like, damn bitch, you live like this. I got shot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But she, but she's also like, Oh, your house is awful. Like, what are you doing here? Why are you living like this? You could be, you know, in society with me. And then it comes down to kitty gets shot. But then also just as quickly as that Roman is turned into a bird dog. Roman is attacked by demons that Kitty also released. So Kitty wants to heal Roman, but then Kitty loses her powers and Roman wants to take the lead. Like it's so flip flop back and forth. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think there's almost like an edge of like, both of you feel like the other sister Mm -hmm. is like the one that needs your help, but you both need each other so badly. Yeah, that's true. And through that arc, there's like going from being so distanced and being like, I haven't seen you in years to we live together, we live apart. Like there's so much ebb and flow that's really interesting in Kitty and Roman. It does literally, like I think one of our very first conversations is basically an argument about who's supposed to be taking care of who. Yeah, I, I do really like the way that it evolves. It starts off as like, I'm the older sister, I know what's going to happen, I take care of you, and, like, well, you mm-hmm. don't know how to do anything. Like, I don't, like, Roman doesn't... You yeah. haven't seen, like, the real the world. The real world is the way that Roman's... Yeah, for sure. And then I think they kind of reach this, like, more level equilibrium of, like, well, we are two independent people who can take care of each other, or mm-hmm. take care of ourselves, 
And also yeah. lean on each other sometimes. Like a lot more equal partnership. Yeah, I think that um, desire to like see each other as equals was pretty like a common thread for the four of us. Um, right? Because despite everybody's very different relationship to power and like where it comes from, especially for them, I think we all tried to like find that kind of like peer quality um, among us. Yeah, there were lots of moments of uh, acknowledging that you are like relying on another PC for something. We are relying on Knox's like strength, we're relying on Susan's like planning, we're relying on Roman and Kitty's magic. Um, and even the, the like major NPCs can like offer things for you, but also have their own vulnerabilities that will cause uh, that can create risk for you. Mm-hmm. And it felt like, um, I mean, a little bit for Roman and maybe not at all for Kitty, but like especially I felt for Knox and Susan, um, there was definitely a hurdle you had to get yeah. over asking people for help, which was interesting to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of um, doing things begrudgingly. (laughs) I think that's just kind of like a selfish, like, I've done the research on demons. Like, I'm an expert. Why can't I do this myself? Mm -hmm. And that's because, like, a giant rift was open in the park. Like, it was not sustainable. Yeah, like despite the fact that Susan has a team, like they're they're not on her level and they're not her equals. Mm. Right? Jesse used a lot of like army language to describe those relationships. Which is like fair, uncomfortable for sure. But your character well, was in an uncomfortable position. It was an uncomfortable Yeah, it was uncomfortable. Um which I mean it's it's good. It's like um I don't I don't disagree. Right, even this scene um, where Susan and Joan are talking in the hospital, and and right, like Joan basically just absolves Susan of like whatever, because she doesn't really see what's wrong with it. Even though, right, there's there was a lot of contributing factors there, right? Sure, like the demon made the hit, but there was so much else going on there. Um, and I don't think Susan would have put um the three of you in that position. Perceive Joan differently. I was really happy with that scene. I think it really uh, like so finely sketched in how much you, Susan, like don't want this person to be like a martyr for your cause, but they did and you benefited greatly from it. And so there's like relief in there and there's gratitude and there's like fear and revulsion. And it was very, um, like, it was really great to see that kind of, like, miasma of complicated feelings in that scene where Joan is, um, she's in a lot of pain and she's, like, really concerned about the future. But she also thinks it's important that you feel as empowered as you can because she really believes that you are the person who's going to save the city. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was very good. Good shit. <laughs> yeah, uh, I didn't know how that was going to go, so... Um. Which I think is fair because I live in my own head. (laughs) But (laughs) I'm really glad with how that turned out. I have a question for Jesse, if if I may. Just because we did this uh, last time when everybody got to talk about our PCs and then Jesse just like sat there. 
Jesse, tell us about your favorite character, either uh, a player character or an NPC. Uh, I mean, of the clearly because you guys kind of ended up as like a final party of six. Um, Philip and Hazel are are um, very dear in my heart. Philip, I think I love because uh, Jory, you know, gave me her. She she's the very like here's my handwritten backstory type, and I'm like scanning through it, and there's this husband. And it's like, we want this storyline of like, is she restricted by the husband? Yeah, maybe the husband's like not a great guy. And I'm like, well, I think that's fair. And we can do that storyline, but I'm not going to make this husband like a very flat, like ridiculous monster. I want to see like where he's at. And so he became this very like misguided, like white knight who just like wants to like save his wife and his family, but is so bad at it. And it's like kind of funny, but it's also kind of pathetic, but it's also kind of like sympathetic. And it's in some ways like very uh, <laughs> like grimy to be Philip and to be like, man, this dude like doesn't get it. And I have to vocalize him just not getting it, refusing to understand and like get to a place where he can like do it. But it's like, also I think it's a, it's, um, a more interesting challenge for like Kitty because she can't be like, I hate my husband who like is awful to me. She's like, I have to deal with my husband who I do love and who I know loves me and who has problems communicating and problems like setting boundaries. And that's like so much more a real obstacle to play with. And so that makes the scene so much more fun. Um, Hazel, I think I love Hazel a lot. I think I love Hazel more, um, there were like parts of Hazel in my brain that I loved more than parts of Hazel that made it out just because I think um, she only ended up really getting involved by the time things were like really ramping up and there wasn't a ton of time to like really delve into her. Like Philip has been around since episode one or two or whatever. Um, but I love where she becomes a bit more of like the bleeding heart of the group of a group that's like very you're all so fucking emotionally repressed and Hazel is a person who's willing to be like, thank you. You saved me. I love you. I'll help you. Let's do this. Uh, which like, I think the group didn't really have very much. Um, so I liked her doing that. I just wish there had been more time to establish her also as like the bond girl pianist who like has a gun in her thigh holster. Who's like sneaking around the back. We got a little bit of that in the Drake casino arc. Um, but I would have loved to, uh, I'm, Hazel's gonna get her own like backstory side series where she does like cool demon adventures in the past. Um, so th that that's the any other like um, are there any like random one sceners that were good? I mean, I loved Ileana. I loved Ileana. I found her very challenging because there were so many neighborhoods in Lakeshore. There were so many factions, and there was so much going on. And you guys were already like overwhelmed with how much like mystery and clues and scenes and things there were that I was like, Ileana's a really great character concept. She's this like witchy, sexual, sensual, strange fey woman. Um, but she doesn't have like the most burning motivations of say Arthur Cho, of the mayor, of Rex Lemaire, of everyone else, of demons. And so it was like, I kind of felt like I was constantly giving her like fun scenes where she got to be like mysterious and sensual. But um she ultimately only wanted to be like queen of the park and anything outside of that was like not her concern. So it felt a little bit anticlimactic for her to be like, well, fucking off now. But it was also, I think, <laughs> I think that's where that character was at. And I think to make her like a third like villain or something would just be like so, so much. But she was very fun to do. And I loved how um she like always put, I think she like put everyone 
she engaged you, but she also like put you off a little bit and kind of kept you off kilter and off your balance as she like stroked all your hands and played with your hair and like whispered to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you, you set it up that the ritual was supposed to happen in episode one. Yeah. Like, could that have succeeded and she just wouldn't have been in the story? Uh, that wasn't her leaving ritual. Oh. No, no. Um, Ileana was hoping to manifest. She also, as she says to Roman episode one, had noticed the increased magical energy. And she didn't know that it had anything to do with the mayor or crystals or anything like that. She was just, she's just like, um, she's not interested in that. She's just not interested in anything besides like, I'm the queen of fair side. I control these little like poets and painters and slutty fairies and whatever. So this was like for her felt like a super moon or whatever. And she was like, I'm going to bathe in the blood of a mortal and maybe like jack up my powers, maybe expand my territory a little bit. Um, But the ritual went wrong. Then, you know, even if she was going to try to recover that, I was thinking about maybe episode four or five. She tries the ritual again. Then her like headquarters (laughs) burns down. (laughs) And so at that point, I was like, well, she could come back raring for revenge and blame like Knox and blame Kitty and put Roman in a lot of hot water. Um, but then there's already stuff going on with like, we're going to visit the wolves. We're going to track down these drugs and there's just so many things. And then she sort of, I think kind of had to slink back to the back burner, um, and sort of like give Roman like, you know, lip, but also like flirt with her, but also be really weird and turn into a bird. Um, so I think she, she just for like narrative purposes had to be a little more relaxed, but I would have loved to see, um, her really go off the handle and, to put Roman in a in a tougher spot in her role as like a member of Ileana's court. I was so ready. I was like, Jesse's gonna I don't know what he's up to, but he's gonna stress me out so much. <laughs> well, I, I was waiting. Truthfully, for it. I thought I thought you were really gonna decide to go after Ileana when she literally stole your sister's magic powers. And I was like, this could be it where where Roman like cuts ties and like um you know, decides to put out a hit or whatever, but then you were sort of like, can I have the powers back? Uh, yeah. I don't, I I struggled a lot with that relationship because, like, it always felt like it starts with Roman being like, Ileana is a god. Like, she will teach me everything if I just stick to her. Like, she's so unreachable and so untouchable. And then I sort of started moving towards this, like, oh, like, you know, maybe one day I could be Ileana. Like, maybe she's actually not that far off as I thought. But it it felt like she just got so close to that point. Yeah. Well, I think that that also speaks to um, what we've talked about a lot, Eli. Like, as we've been working on the campaign, like, Roman as a character who is trying to figure out where she belongs in this world and how she can, like, walk in the court of Ileana, but also in, like, this demon hunting gang, but also in like Susan's drug network, but also in like Jim's uh, store um, and how that like, that was, I mean, for me, it was really exciting because it felt like there were so many things I could do for you, but I also felt like I was constantly like pestering you and being like, what do you want Roman to do next? Like, where do you think Roman goes next? Like, what do you want? What do you want to, what do you want the shape of this to be? I'm not going to say it's entirely intentional the way that it panned out. And maybe it was a little bit, um, due to my indecision, but like, you know, when I started, when we started the campaign, I was like, oh, Roman story is about like, like climbing and clawing your way in this court. And like, I'm going to leave 
in an explosive way or I'm going to like come back and coo Ileana. Like some shit's going to happen in this park. And then it kind of ended up being like not quite so dramatic, but maybe more poignant of like, well, sometimes you don't have this like explosive thing and like you do just like fizzle out and realize this place is not for you. And like, I, I can't remember if I said this in a recording, but like Roman's story very much ended up being like, I didn't find necessarily more of a place to belong, but I, I have like people I belong with and I feel comfortable in not defining those spaces and relationships and putting and putting words to things. So I guess in a way it ended up being like maybe less of an audio drama, but but more true to Roman. It was really good. Yeah, I think that for me that feels really captured in the scene where you say goodbye to Ileana. And I think you use like the past and say like, I loved you um, and kind of let her know that that's like not where you are anymore. And then there's the other scene in 20, I think, or for the... Fair. I hope this makes it into the final cut. People know what I'm talking about. You go to see the the rest of your like Fey cohort um, to get the peppermints, and um, it's just like you guys are having fun, like fucking playing around, like running fair side, being like little Fey queens and kings, and that's like I'm I'm not even that anymore, and I don't even mind that you like might take a dig at me or whatever. And so I like that. Um, I think it. it it maybe more than you realize, like really showed Roman as this character who is like grown and maybe decided that she doesn't need, like, I think with Ileana gone, there's like a pressure off of you. Um, and that's also interesting because like that pressure is coming when there's pressure from Kitty coming to be like a sister. And when there's pressure from other people asking so much of you, asking you to heal them, asking you to accompany them. Um, so Roman's a character who has had like a lot of external forces, like pushing her in different directions. And I think the end is very Roman. I mean, having like an indie movie, head shaving scene <laughs> and then just doing her. Mm. Sorry, I needed it. I needed it. I like it. it. Um, good. <laughs> yeah, I think there's that. It felt so interesting because like even in scenes with Ileana, uh, you know, like like out of character, she she made me feel like pressure. She, I felt like intimidated by the idea. Me, Eli, felt intimidated by Eliana um, and was like, I don't know how to play this scene. Like, she's not even real and she's like controlling me. Um, and it's so interesting. Like, as soon as we went to this new, like, next theoretical Faye leader, I just felt like. <laughs> it was so removed from the person that I am now that they don't, they, they, they might be like as horrible, more powerful than Ileana. I don't know, but I, I didn't feel that because there was no connection anymore. Even physically you've traveled to so many other parts of the city and seen so much more of Lakeshore than the very like limited, like Fairside is very much a deliberately inclusive, like what's the word? Closed it's like a yeah it's like people who live in fairside live in fairside and hang out in fairside and do a little cafe thing and do a little music thing and do the little magic thing and by 1920 roman has like actually like raised the stakes and like made big moves in the whole rest of the city and it's like this playground is like i've outgrown it yeah okay did did y'all have any theories about what was happening during the campaign I thought the mayor was, like, gonna summon, like... I thought it was more demonic than anything else. 
Yeah, demons and drugs were like more how you guys came to it. And also demons is very like Rex. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Part of me kind of wishes that you had um, entertained her a little bit more in the spot here so she could have like told you more about herself. But you were like, I fucking don't care. I hate you. And I was like, that's fair. <laughs> um, but no one. But there was never an opportunity to like learn more about her and what she wanted besides that scene. because She yeah. was very off screen. You know, I don't I think parts of it made it onto the air, but Jory was like pitching a um city hall heist for a long time to the point where I like wrote full like notes and scene descriptions and like what you would have found there and like there would have been like probably a mayor encounter um unless you even if you had gone like the middle of the night probably. This campaign had so many more like directions it could have taken. Kitty had to go on vacation. Then Kitty I do like that I think the Kitty vacation arc was great though. Oh it was it was but that's what happened it, instead. Yeah. Yeah definitely couldn't have done both. Yeah and I think when you're playing like urban shadows which is so city focused you should explore the city you should like go to all these places because they're important and they all exist like within the tangled web of power and relationships which is why i made the postcards as like our new episode advertisements it did feel like every time we went somewhere new like the breath of the wild mini map noise would play in my head of like discovering a new area Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. What was your favorite like non headquartersy location that we visited? There were actually like you mean a lot. Non headquarters. Non like Roman's house. <laughs> the last row is definitely my favorite location. I was thought it was delightful. I like was so excited every single time Roman was like, "I'm going to." I we cut one of the scenes entirely out, but both scenes where Roman was like, "I'm going to talk to this dog man and figure out how to get in." It was just that was that was my favorite like <laughs> yes. location. I like the park. Fairmont Park? Yeah, in its entirety and all the... And seemingly every little corner, there's another faction. You just walk like 100 meters that way and there's like fey people and then 100 meters that way and there's ladies with guns and it's all over the place. I really loved... You could tell how much I loved it. The the like, let's go sneak into Kitty's apartment scene. I actually was like, because that's so like, oh, the door's like ajar. Like it's dark. What's happening? That shit um, really tickles my fancy. And like Roman's house had so much character to it. And we spent so much time there. Um, and Susan, we didn't spend a lot of time with the sings. We spent a lot of time at like that. Like sense of place was so much more. The places in Lakeshore were like urban places and the kinds of places we're more familiar with. Like I was pulling from like the stock fantasy cauldron for like, this is a manor house and this is a castle and this is this. But it's like, this is a apartment of a cafe and it's like, I live, (laughs) I can tell you about that. I can tell you what it's like to be in like this Toronto adjacent like nature center or uh, like a big dilapidated tenement house that like might've been student housing or boarding housing. Like I've been there and lived in those places and it was nice to like fill in all those colorful details, like a roommate that won't stop practicing their music, stuff like that. <laughs> Vampire sax man. My greatest accomplishment was deleting yeah. the sax. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, I do have a question. Was it the role that was magical or the camera? Would I? <laughs> And so I was really, I was really interested if it was going to run out during the finale or not, and then it ended up not. And I had like a few different options for what would have happened after. So I was thinking about this thing where like, um, once you took the final roll, the final shot on the roll of film, you would need to take it out and develop it immediately. And if you didn't, 
they would start like the pictures, the objects that you transported would start like emerging back ah. out of the camera in like monstrous forms, like a weird saxophone monster or like a giant door or something. I don't know what the door would have done. Um, but I was thinking about like this untested weird magic film that Jim Stevens might have given you as like a last ditch effort and like maybe didn't warn you about all of the dangers of. Uh, I thought that was interesting. I was so ready to take a picture of the mayor. And oh, yeah. I never got to meet the mayor, so she'll never climb out of my camera. I am curious about what people enjoyed the most about this particular game, about Urban Shadows. Like as a system. Yeah. I really loved the, like, oh, when you take enough harm, instead of dying, you can just be, like, shattered. And that can just, like, yeah. change your character. Like, the way that, that, like, physical trauma can, can change your character's heart, mind, soul, whatever. I love that. That was so great. And only one of us got to use it, but it was very good. So. I like that it had the mixed successes built in the whole way through. Things like getting like a seven or whatever means like you can achieve your task, but also you have to like choose from this list of bad things that happen. I think it makes it so that um, where with like other games, uh, you know, like D&D, you can have interactions be a little bit, can get a bit stale sometimes just because there isn't those uh the give and take of a scene it feels like um you know you can like for example threaten someone and it's either a, a pass or fail is i like that it always comes with with mixed successes and then furthermore the like the favor system is also quite interesting debts uh, um it's what the debt system debts, yes I felt like I used it a lot early on, and then, I don't know, I, I felt like we didn't really fully utilize it later on either, um, which was somewhat unfortunate, but also just kind of the way that it developed. Uh, we needed less, I guess, uh, debts later on, too. We were kind of, like, all in the same party. Yeah, I'll cop to having a hard time with using debts for this particular campaign because it... Um you guys pulling debts on other characters is fine because you're like advancing your own story. But for other characters to put debts on you when you're playing like, you know, regular urban shadows is because you're playing this ongoing game and it can be like a great way to introduce a new conflict. And this kind of ties into um, everything. The stuff with Ileana, the stuff with like traveling is like, there's so much stuff going on and I don't want you guys to lose focus on the mystery that you're trying to solve that taking the time for Hotch to be like, I saved your life Roman time to like pay up and do this extra thing it's just like, that's great. It's just like so sideways, so tangential that it feels like it's pulling away from the momentum of what is this mystery of Lakeshore. So in like a non-recorded Urban Shadows game, it'd be fine to take the time and like go somewhere else and do something else and like flesh out the world more. But I was like, man, we have to like, we have to finish this, you know? So that's why I, I feel like I, not that I could, like I chose not to do more with debts in service of the story but I would have loved to also play an Urban Shadow games that plays debts more the way they're intended to be played. I think um, debts are a system that might work really well in like a smaller game where there are like only so many players and you keep recurringly running into them whether you like it or not. It's just there was so much like space and other people to go to that it's like, well, Hodge might have a dead on me, but he's across town and I haven't seen him in five episodes, so... Yeah. Absolutely. I guess what I liked was 
Like the opportunity to be dark without it being too heavy. I think um, it was fun to make bad decisions. I don't think I was very precious about Susan in a way that I have been with other characters. So I wasn't really afraid to put her in a bad spot and figure figure a way out of that or let her get hurt. And the putting someone like in danger, which was always like constant in this game, with very real stakes, was fun. Yeah, it felt like the stakes were definitely higher than something like Tala, where we all kind of know how fantasy stories are like structured and go. And this was like, I don't know, I could fucking kill one of you. Try me. Yeah. <laughs> See how far we go. Yeah, I I didn't know if I would survive this campaign. I almost killed Philip. <gasps> yeah. You did. I don't think I mentioned this. What? <laughs> well, uh in in the at the lake when Mickey came to confront him, um because I didn't know Knox was going to like teleport over there. I thought it would have been very interesting for Kitty to like be kind of, you know, finally uh betrayed by like her husband who's just trying to protect her but he like has slipped up one too many times and she like watches him oh, get, no, um, I would have been uh whacked <laughs> as it were i think could have been a very interesting like kitty direction well, nice. she been i wish sad. i didn't i wish i i wish i didn't come oh i'm glad you came out know how i would have felt with that <laughs> yeah both both to see what happens with you and because i don't like philip so the two reasons jory did you get to answer what you like about urban shadows I didn't. I was going to say, um, I think the, I really liked the corruption system. Um, I liked, especially, not that Kitty took that much corruption, but like, I like having that built into the game is your care, how your character changes. And like, in this case, it's like how your character becomes more corrupt, but I can see how it's also like how your character grows and learns. And in Kitty's case, that is kind of what it happened. Cause she starts as like a very, um, naive kind of character and then has to eventually become like a person who can shoot a gun um but in general i think that's interesting to build in like the way the characters grow and change are there any um favorite moments that you want to revisit from this campaign oh that's easy that's i loved roman versus all the romans damn um, it was, just, I thought that was a really good character, like for, like, I thought it was really indicative to Roman's character. Like, I thought that that, like, really, um, made her arc very, like, solid. Like, oh, I am a person with all of these choices in front of me and I can't choose. Like, I thought that was really good for, good way to do that. Um, it was, like, an interesting, like, fantasy thing, not fantasy, but, like, dream sequence thing. Um, and it felt very distinct from the rest of the campaign. Um, I don't know. It was definitely like a highlight, I think, to just like sit and listen to as someone who is not in that scene. I liked, and this is going to sound bad, but I liked when I was going to saw Swiss cheese Eli's head. That was a good scene. Eli made a very grumpy face. It was a good scene. Still, still making it. Yeah, it's still kind of going. <laughs> it was a good scene. I, I have to actually, Wouldn't I have to agree, actually. though? I thought you were mortal. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, Why you tried to be all big. You tried to talk all that real good shit. Yeah, that's what happened. 
I feel like it was like the first it was like the first episode and it was like here's how like like here's what Lakeshore's like guys and it was like she's like all right, I'll do this, and like you're gonna owe me like a debt, and then I'm like, no, 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 like I'm gonna do this, and you're gonna owe me. No, a debt. you owed me a debt when that ended. Yes, yes, because you weren't gonna tell or whatever. Hey, it's just there was a misunderstanding, and you weren't cool about it, okay? Eli, what was yours? I'm torn. I really liked Midge tearing into Knox just because. Nox <laughs> usually has something to say in response, but Midge was not letting him have it. She was just, sit at the end of the bar. Like, it was good. Nancy tearing into Susan was also very good. It's just like, ugh, so, not only is she so passive, but like when you're putting this in your mind's eye and she's got that like polyester pink cat sweater on and she's like, you fucking <laughs> coward. <laughs> I do, I do like the Mitch scene too. I like characters um, who are willing to confront Jordan's characters because I know Jordan's not afraid of confrontation and is like willing to like go for it. And like if his character has a problem with the scene, the character will express that problem. Um, and so I like to give Jordan like a feed him a mix of like characters that are like fully intimidated by him, characters that are like on par with him and characters that are like furious at him because he can like uh, do all those interactions so funnily and so interestingly. Like when he went into the alley with like Max and Mickey and he was like, but I'm actually a demon. And they're like, I... we actually don't fucking care. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> like episode four kind of overall. Is... Yeah. No way, I got, I got, I got back at it. In hindsight, it was great that, great that you were like, well, I'm a demon. Now knowing that they're like, well, we boss your demon boss around all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I think um, so much of episode four was like so good um, and just so it's such a perfect snapshot like of this game and of us playing this game. Right. I love Knox in the alley. I love Kitty and Roman meeting, like reuniting after years on the stairs up to the catwalk. While of this Kitty's bar. high out of her mind. Kitty's yeah on drugs. Roman has like smashed her drink. Oh yeah! <laughs> oh my god, I missed that. That was, okay. Maybe that was my favorite. Oh, just so much, so much beautiful, beautiful drama. <laughs> uh, did anybody have any final uh, thoughts? <laughs> I feel like we need some wrap up. But I don't know what that means. We need a debrief or debrief. That's true. I mean, later, like I can write like a little like, "Thank you so much for listening." Let's just say that all together and like cut each other off and just sort of like improv through it. Okay, go right now. Thanks for um so that was our Lakeshore campaign debrief. Thanks I'm for listening. Over to Jillian. Oh fuck. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. Thanks for listening. listening. I don't remember uh. the rest. <laughs> and then what happens next is Jory's gonna tell us what's up. Some one shots, and then eventually we're gonna be playing a game of uh Lobster hearts. Is that right? No, it's called. No, I thought you said we were playing lobster hearts. Oh my god, lobster hearts. $300 foam claws. That's amazing. I still have the receipt. This game is called Monster Hearts. Can I be a lobster in it? Big matey claws. (laughs) Big matey claws.